This is Legend. I'm Sam. I'm Amy. And we are a podcast about cryptids, urban legends, and the paranormal. Mm-hmm. I got a question mm-hmm. for you. Oh, yeah? What is it? It's a random question. I'm down. What is your favorite piece of clothing you own? My favorite piece of clothing I own. Can I... What if I have three? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so my favorite hoodie is my Sublime hoodie that I got when I went to see Sublime with Rome uh, with my dad. And then I have two favorite t-shirts. One is... the My Bush t-shirt is my favorite, even though I also saw Breaking Benjamin at the same concert. And I have a Breaking Benjamin t-shirt, but... I was way more happy to see Bush because it was unexpected. And then my other favorite t-shirt, which is probably my favorite t-shirt, so I guess this would be my favorite piece of clothing, is my Simple Plan t-shirt from when I saw Simple Plan. Oh. Yeah, have, that one made me cry. I have a lot of band shirts from seeing shows and stuff, but my favorite favorite piece of clothing is my Looney Tunes shirt that I actually bought for Matt several years ago and he wouldn't wear it. I don't know why. I think he's too cool or something for cartoons. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) But it's just giant and comfy and it is torn to shreds now. There's a giant hole in the side and several little holes but I can't give it up. It is so comfy. I, I understand that. I my t-shirts I all buy an extra large size so that they're roomy and comfy because I sleep in them. So same. I get it. Yeah. And then I have a favorite pair of pants. I have two favorite. Actually, I have three favorite pairs of pajama pants. Yep, that's what mine are. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't really have a favorite pair of pants. Pants. No, I hate pants. Yeah, same. But pajama pants, I'm so selective with my pajamas because they all have to be cuffed at the bottom. Which is a very popular thing now, so that's easy. I know. Great. I'm in style, I guess. (laughs) But I don't like my pants to drag on the floor. Or the cuff keeps them from riding up Mm -hmm. like and getting bunched up behind my knees and stuff. So cuffed pajama pants, joggers or whatever. Perfect. That's what mine are. But they have little skeletons all over them. Um, I'm wearing my favorite pair right now, and they're just black. But they're the softest <laughs> ever. And that then um, my other ones are plaid, green plaid. And then my other ones, which are like the most expensive pair of real pants or pajama pants I've ever bought. Um... They're like, um, aren't they purple? No, they're black, but they have on the sides of them, it's lace, so you can see through them. Ah, uh, yeah. The other yeah. ones were purple. And you would think that those wouldn't be $60 since it's lace <laughs> and less um, material, but lace makes it sexy and sexy makes it pricey. I yeah, you have to be right because the lace is not durable. No, no lace. <laughs> it's sucks. got little holes all in it mm-hmm, already. Mm-hmm. But I still love them. But yeah. 
worth sixty dollars? Mm, probably not. It is kind of funny that they would put lace into joggers like they're gonna make joggers sexy or something. It's weird because my friend Katie's shoes. They're her favorite pair of pants that I own, too. She tried to steal them from me. (laughs) And she was like, I don't know why you don't wear these in public. And I'm like, because my dad taught me to be presentable and sweatpants (laughs) in public are not presentable, no matter if they have lace or not. Mm. She's like, no, these look great. And I'm like, no. Um, The pants that I wear every single day aren't sweatpants, but they are jogger style pants. But they're like parachute material. Oh, I was like, are you talking about the windbreakers? No, they're not like that bad. They're like soft parachute material. Ooh. <laughs> they're from Target. They're very nice. pants I wear every day. I don't wear jeans. Too big for jeans. So I buy eight pairs of the same black leggings from Target. And so it looks like I'm wearing the same pants every single day, but they're a different pair just from Target. No, I do wear the same pants every day, but. (laughs) Oh, you're like, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. (laughs) I wash them when they smell bad. Who cares? Yeah. Laundry is (laughs) laundry. Yeah. So I am covering Lindsay. Lindsay. Nope. Sorry, Lindsay. I'm not doing a podcast episode with you. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) I am covering Lizzie. Borden. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure you know who that is. No, I have no idea. Never oh, okay. met her. Well, I'm going to say that it's safe to say that most people who are listening to this type of podcast probably know who Lizzie Borden is, or they've probably heard the rhyme associated with Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. However, you going to do it for us? I am. If you're new Ooh. here, this is the rhyme. Lizzie Borden. I almost said Lindsay again. <laughs> Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Fun stuff. Very fun stuff. Of course, the rhyme is slightly exaggerated. Just just a dad bit. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. But it's stuck in people's minds. It's catchy. This is another case that's really heavily true crime, which are my favorites. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you the case of Andrew Jackson Borden and Abby Dufresne Gray's murder. And I'm going to talk about the paranormal activity that is associated with it. Please do. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born July 19th in 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts, to her parents, Sarah Anthony Borden and Andrew Jackson Borden. I wonder if they named him that after Andrew Jackson. Probably. I was wondering that while I was writing it. Probably. I didn't look it up, though. I could see it. She had an older sister named Emma Lenora Borden, who was nine years older than her. There was also a third sister who would have been the middle child named Alice Esther. However, she passed away before the age of two. No. On March 26, 1863, Sarah Borden passed away when Lizzie was around two and a half years old from what was described as spinal disease and uterine congestion. That sounds awful. It does. And it is. I wasn't sure what uterine congestion was. I was thinking maybe a UTI. 
but I found an article from grunge.com that states, quote, per Lizzie Borden Warps and Wefts, which I'm not sure what that is. I think it might be a book. Maybe. I don't know. Symptoms include sharp pains in the abdomen and the type of bulging veins and blood clots associated with thrombosis. In turn, this can result in poor circulation, difficulty walking, and more. Ow. That does not, does not sound like something I would want to deal with. Mm-mm. On June 6, 1865, Andrew married his second wife, Abigail Abbey Dufree Gray. Together, they never had any children. I've had an article that states, quote, while some described her as a short, humorless soul who displayed <laughs> little or no affection, others said she was kindly, generous, and eager to please, end quote. It was said that Lizzie's older sister, Emma, despised Abby, and Lizzie referred to her as Mrs. Borden instead of Abby or Mom. And she believed that Abby had married her father for his wealth, and the girls Mm. were often angry with her father and Abby over financial matters. So clearly, you can see where the girls stood about their stepmom. They were huge fans. They loved her. They loved her. Yep. Want to spend all their time with her. Yep. Bridget Sullivan, their live-in maid, who emigrated from Ireland to the United States and who for some reason they called Maggie. I have no idea why and I don't know if they were being (laughs) rude or if they called like every maid that they had Maggie. I don't know. It seems weird to call somebody. Bridget. Bridget. Maybe she just didn't like the name Bridget. Maybe. And maybe Maggie was her middle name. I don't know. It just, it was put so bluntly in the article. It was just, they referred to her as Maggie. No explanation. (laughs) So I was like, alrighty. Sweet. Anyway, so they called her Maggie, but Bridget would later testify that Lizzie and Emma rarely ate meals with their parents And I'm assuming she was saying this as proof of how much the girls hated Abby. Mm. In April of 1872, Andrew Borden bought the house at 92 Second Street in Fall River for around $10,000, which would be almost $250,000 today. Yeah, this is the house known as the Lizzie Borden house. So let's talk about Emma and Lizzie. According to legendsofamerica.com, Emma was known to be described as prim, confident, apparently reliable in every fiber. Oh, how nice. Very nice. Whereas Lizzie was known to be more (laughs) outgoing and social than Emma. Lizzie was extremely involved with her church. She taught Sunday school and would attend many church activities and participate in a lot of socializing and organizations that stemmed from the church. Have you... I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but have you seen the show with Christina Ricci? I am going to talk about it, and I've only seen a couple episodes. Katie wanted me to watch it with her, but it's just not... I watched almost the whole thing. Did you like it? Yeah. It seemed good to me. The girl that plays her sister is that one girl that's in the faculty and every other freaking thing. I know! Stokely! Yeah, I know. I said that to Katie. I was like, oh, my God, it's Stokely. (laughs) But she like your descriptions of them 
they played it very well. I heard it was pretty accurate. Yeah. But I only watched a couple episodes with her and then I don't know, I never we never watched it again and it's not something I usually would go to, but I thought it was good. Yeah. So I don't know why I didn't finish it. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. All right. So it's also pertinent that we talk about Andrew, their father. A little backstory on how he came to his wealth because he's extremely wealthy. He first manufactured and sold furniture and caskets. Then later on, he became very successful at being a property developer. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that is. If he just owned them, Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he, like, maybe it was an old time version of a house flipper. That's what I was, well, I was thinking like real estate agent or something. I bet it's like, like they buy properties and turn them into other things. So like they'll buy an old apartment and turn it into a mall or vice versa, stuff like that. I could see that. I could see that. Or tear down a building and put in a parking garage or something. I could see that from based on what they said because he said that he like dealt in a lot of different properties and businesses and he owned like a lot of commercial real estate. Ah, yeah. So commercial flipping. (laughs) I could see that. So despite being very wealthy, he was known to be extremely frugal which is thought to be due to the fact that he struggled financially as a young adult, even though he was a descendant of a very wealthy and influential family line. So when he was a kid, they his family was not going through any hardships. But I think when he set out on his own, he kind of struggled for a minute until he found his, you know... His drive. Yeah, there you his... go. I was trying to think of the word. His position in life that he wants to pursue. I'm still looking for that. (laughs) Me too, always. (laughs) So I saw the word parsimony. Parsimonious. 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 That's a fun one. I saw that word used to describe him and I never heard it before. Me either. So I looked it up and Google says that it means unwilling to spend money or use resources, stingy or frugal. I wish. makes sense. I (laughs) wish that was me. Me too, but it's definitely (laughs) not. You're more frugal than me, that's for sure. Barely. (laughs) (laughs) Some examples of his frugalness are that his home lacked any indoor plumbing or electricity even though the Borden family lived in a very affluent area called the Hill, and those things were fairly typical for the wealthy at the time. He was also described as a dour man. (laughs) No. He didn't seem very friendly. Nope. Although Lizzie was described as a very beautiful woman and was said to have many suitors, Her father's frugal ways often got in the way of either girl actually accepting any suitor. Anytime someone sought after them, Andrew would call them fortune hunters (laughs) and reject them, which essentially caused the women to end up as spinsters. Aww, that's rude. Yeah, both of them did. Okay, so now that we have some backstory, we're going to get into the crime. Yeah. A common story that's gone around as to what may have started 
or escalated tension between Lizzie and her father was that around May 1892, there were pigeons in the barn that Andrew considered to be pests. Lizzie, however, had recently built a roost for them, and sometime soon after, Andrew ended up killing them all with a hatchet. (laughs) Which, as you can imagine, made Lizzie very upset. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, I found that this particular story is probably not true it's very much debated it was about in half of the sources that i read and then the other half was like i call bullshit so (laughs) you can take that as you will okay however what is true is that in the months leading up to the murders tension had been growing due to the fact that andrew kept gifting different real estate properties to abby's family Emma and Lizzie demanded that they also receive a rental property. So they bought the home that they had lived in until their mother died for $1 from him just a few weeks before the murder. Wow. Cheap. $1. Very cheap. So at first I was like, okay, well, how much was a dollar worth back then? Well, it was worth considerably more, Mm -hmm. but not like outrageous for a property. It was worth $32.62 in today's money. Wow. That's like very cheap. Yeah. Think of all of the cheeseburgers you could get though. Eh, mm-hmm. Probably like five now, I guess. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, there's no dollar menu anymore. But they sold that property back to their father for $5,000, <laughs> which would be about $163,075.27 today. Dang. Nice profit. Very much. And I don't know why it's like i mean i know why the girls did it i don't know why andrew was like fine i'll buy it back Mm, sentimental value maybe to a very dour man (laughs) yeah very dour man has sentimental values on top of that for a few days before the murders the entire household had been violently ill abby had suspected that they had been poisoned because andrew wasn't well liked in the community I think something I forgot to mention earlier um, was that a lot of the people in the area considered him a shady businessman. Hmm. And then, of course, his own daughters didn't like him. So you get that reputation reputation when you're kind of an asshole, you know? Yeah, and stingy. Yeah. But it was speculated by a family friend that it was probably caused by some mutton that had been left on the stove to use as meals over several days. Mm. So basically that they got food poisoning. Yes. There's also another story that Lizzie went to the local pharmacist and asked for prosaic acid. And. I should have looked looked into what that is, but I know that you can poison people with it. Okay. And they wanted to enter that in as evidence in the trial with Lizzie. Spoiler alert, she gets accused of murder and goes to trial. But yeah, that day. (laughs) But they um actually um the judges ruled that they couldn't use that in court for some reason. So that never got said in trial. Maybe like hearsay or something. Another interesting character comes into play now. John Morse, who is Abby's brother and who had also not been a very present person in Lizzie or Emma's lives growing up, recently started coming around within the last two years. Mm 
The night before the murders, on August 3rd, 1892, he actually stayed the night at the Borden home in their guest bedroom because he had come over that evening to discuss business matters Uh with Andrew. Uh It's been widely speculated that the business matter he was there to discuss was about property transfers, which also could have intensified the already intense atmosphere in the Borden house. You know, that is a good possibility. Yeah, I bet you he was like, so can I have some property because I'm Abby's brother (laughs) and you're giving everybody property? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. That's probably exactly how the conversation went. Yep, and Andrew was just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to do a lurch impression. (laughs) You are so good at those impressions. Like you, <laughs> so good. you just you hit it right on the head. Why am I even here? I should be famous by yeah. now. I'd say probably Broadway. I know, right? <laughs> okay, well, this brings us to the morning of the murders, which was August fourth, eighteen ninety-two. Lizzie at the time was thirty-two years old, and Emma was forty-one. Both still lived in the home with Andrew and Abby because you know why not. Andrew made them spinsters, so. (laughs) So now he has to pay for them the rest of his life, which isn't very much longer. Nope. And uh, let's not forget that John Morris had spent the night, too. Mm -hmm. Lizzie was the one to discover her father's bludgeoned bludgeoned body that morning. His bludgeoned buddy? (laughs) His bludgeoned buddy. (laughs) He had been hit in the face with a hatchet around ten times. He had been beat in the head while he was sleeping on their sofa. There's an actual photo of him on the couch, and it is very gruesome. So if you do look up Lizzie Borden yourself or you want to know more, just be aware you're probably going to see that picture. After Lizzie found her father, she yelled for their maid, Bridget. By the way, I put maid like I made a cake. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong kind wrong type um so they yelled for their maid bridget to go get the doctor dr bowen and then um to go get their neighbor adelaide churchill once they got to the house it was those two who discovered abby in the upstairs guest bedroom also beaten to death so they just ran right by um dude on the couch to go upstairs and look for someone else i don't think so I think how it happened was they checked on him, realized, you know, he was dead, and then realized Abby was missing. So they checked the house. Because for whatever reason, after Lizzie found her father, she did not go upstairs and check for Abby. Well, I mean, she probably, for one, didn't give a shit if Abby was dead or alive. And for two, maybe she thought, like, Abby had left the house because... Who can kill someone in the living room and not let other people in the house hear it? Well, you have a very good point. Yeah. Because there were several people in the house. (laughs) Anyway, the coroner suggests that Abby had been facing her killer at first and then started to turn away, like to run away from the killer during the first blow. So the first hatchet strike is in the side of her head instead of front or back. And then the uh, remaining 17 
blows are to the back of her head. So that makes 18 blows in total. It's amazing she had a back of the head left. They were practically unrecognizable. And there is a photo of Abby also. So Mm. just a warning. I want to know how on such a small surface they can count 17 different strikes. Because you'd feel like eventually they'd start overlapping and hitting like the same spot over and over or just it would all crumble. That does happen, actually. I when a lot of like forensic files that I watch, they say they estimate this Mm. many stabs because after a point it just turns to mush. Yeah. Well, they count the marks on the bone. Yeah. I've watched bones. I've watched bones. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, When police arrived, they found Andrew's body was still warm, which indicated that he was murdered after Abby. Police created a timeline of events, which has John Morse and Andrew Borden having breakfast and talking with each other for about an hour before John left the house at around 845. Then Andrew left to take a walk at around 9 a.m. During this time... Lizzie was in the dining room ironing. Okay. (laughs) So it says she was in the dining room ironing, but another source said that she was in the backyard looking for irons. Do you know what irons are? I mean, there's a lot of different terms that means irons. I had no idea. But what it means is that she was looking for lead sinkers for a fishing trip. Oh. And so that puts her outside of the house. Did she do a lot of fishing? I didn't say so, but (laughs) I have no idea. But what I'm thinking is that the other source where it said that she was in the dining room ironing, Mm -hmm. I think they didn't know what what irons were. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Because in the trial, they also talk about how her story of being in the barn looking for irons was not plausible for some reason I mean, probably because she's a lady i don't know yeah i mean i don't know if she did a lot of fishing maybe i they, don't know either. maybe they did know that she didn't do a lot of fishing yeah so like what are you doing <laughs> why are you out there abby was cleaning the upstairs guest bedroom Andrew returned home at around 10.30, and then Lizzie discovered his body at around 11.10 a.m. Emma was away at the time, so she was quickly ruled out as a suspect, as was John Morse. For some reason, Bridget was never considered a suspect, so really that just left Lizzie. Hmm. Since police strongly felt that whoever murdered Andrew and Abby lived in the house. So maybe they just didn't like Lizzie, and that's why they automatically jumped to her. Possibly. But why? Maybe the maid was, like, really, really shy and reserved, and they're like, she couldn't kill anybody. She's just a little shy maid. I don't know, but she was never thought of. Hmm. Maybe ever. she slept with someone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> maybe. 
Lizzie was arrested on August 11th. She entered a not guilty plea and was put in the Tauntaun, Massachusetts jail. The preliminary hearing took place from August 25th to September 1st. And a few months later, the grand jury heard evidence to see if they would indict her. A friend of the family, Alice Russell, testified that she had witnessed Lizzie burning a blue dress in a kitchen fire, allegedly. Hmm. Lizzie had told Alice that the dress had been covered in paint. But this, paired with the fact that their maid Bridget told the jury that Lizzie was wearing a blue dress the morning of the murders, <laughs> was enough testimony to indict Lizzie of murder on December 2nd, 1892. What a friend. Just ratting her out for burning a dress. Right? If I saw you do it, don't worry, your secret safe with me. <laughs> Even though that'd be so out of place. <laughs> The trial started on June 5th, 1893, and all throughout the trial, her sister her sister Emma stood by her side and even testified in her defense. Bridget testified that Lizzie was the only person she saw in the home during her parents' murder, but she also mentioned that over the course of her two-year work history with the Bordens, she had never witnessed any signs of the rumored bad relationship that Lizzie and her stepmother supposedly had. Well, that's nice of her. At least she's got her back. Right. On the other hand, <laughs> Hannah H. Gifford, who apparently had sewn a garment for Lizzie, said that she overheard Lizzie calling her stepmother, quote, a mean, good-for-nothing thing. And <laughs> I don't have much to do with her. I stay in my room most of the time. Okay, yeah. That doesn't look that good. No. Another crucial part of the trial came from Alice Russell again, where she stated that Lizzie had said that she would soon be going on vacation and felt, quote, that something is hanging over me. I cannot tell what it is. Then Lizzie apparently said, I feel afraid something is going to happen. And she wanted to go to sleep with one eye open half the time for fear somebody might burn the house down or her father because he was so discourteous to people. Okay. I mean, he is an ass, so people, you know, like to retaliate. Yep. Another turning point for Lizzie was most likely when a three-judge panel decided that her inquest testimony could not be used in the trial. It was full of contradictions and implausible claims, and it was not permitted to be used during the trial because it was made with the absence of her attorney and therefore not voluntary. Judges said that she should have been informed of her Fifth Amendment rights to remain silent. I mean, true. That is where people mess up sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. A.V. Jennings, Lizzie Borden's defense attorney, summed up the proceedings with, quote, There is not one particle of direct evidence in this case from beginning to end against Lizzie A. Borden. There is not a spot of blood. There is not a weapon that they have connected with her in any way, shape, or fashion. End quote. On June 20th, 1893, the jury deliberated for an hour and a half and came back with a verdict of not guilty. Yay! <laughs> Yay! If you want to know more details of the trial, the podcast Morbid covered it very well. I didn't listen to it again for the research of this episode, 
because I have a thing about listening to podcasts <laughs> when I'm doing I won't listen to a podcast because I don't want to inadvertently steal anything that they've said or you know mm-hmm. but um I listened to Lizzie Borden's episode like I think it was like almost oof, I think it's been a couple years now ago that I listened to it probably and I don't really remember everything that was said in it, but Morbid is like the best at giving the details, like really getting into it. So if you, I just know that it was good. Okay. I can't (laughs) tell you exactly how I know it was good, but Uh, it was good. You're so not biased or anything. I'm not. I love them. (laughs) Anyways. So, but where I did get a lot of this information for the trial is from a website called famoustrials.com. They go into a lot more detail than I did, if you want to know the nitty-gritty. Probably do. It's really cool. After the trial, Emma and Lizzie inherited a part of their father's fortune, which at the time was around $300,000, which in today's money is worth just short of $10 million. Oh, man, he is so broke. (laughs) They had to give a substantial amount of it to Abby's family, but they still had a considerable amount left over in which they bought a house that Lizzie named Maplecroft in 1893. The house was massive at 4,000 square feet, eight bedrooms, four bathrooms, and six fireplaces. They also had live-in maids and a housekeeper and a coachman. So Lizzie kind of made things worse for herself because she never wore morning clothes. (laughs) Like the black garb. I mean, what would be the point? She wasn't really mourning, even if she didn't kill them. (laughs) I know, but by society's standards at the time, it was like, (gasps) I can't believe you're not upset. Man, society would hate us now. I know. She also started flaunting her wealth uh, in the eyes of her community. I would too. (laughs) She also had started... uh, she also had started to go by the name Lizbeth instead of Lizzie. I think this was a way of distancing herself from yeah who she was during the murder of her parents. Probably. But it didn't work. No. Why would it? She went to the same church she had been going to before everything, but basically everybody shunned her. She no longer had friends or acquaintances, and everyone tried to avoid her. Man, if we would have lived back then. I know. Well, she was also accused of shoplifting in Providence, Rhode Island in 1897, which also played a hand in further ruining her reputation. Who hasn't shoplifted at some point in their life? I was going to say, I did once, but it was on accident. Does that count? No, probably not. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, Target. I did not mean to steal that Dr. Pepper. I was just super thirsty. And then at the end of my shift, I forgot to pay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. They're going to come after you. I know. It was like 15 years ago, but I'm still (laughs) sorry about it. Mm. Gossip and rumors continued to spread around her neighborhood. And this is where the rhyme I mentioned at the beginning of the episode comes in. Children would throw eggs at her house and sing the rhyme. They would also run up to the door and knock on it and then run away. Emma and Lizzie lived happily together until 1904 when Lizzie met an actress named Nance O'Neill. They were very close 
and it has been highly suspected that they were actually lovers. And Probably. Emma very much disapproved of their friendship. Mm. So yeah, they were probably definitely lovers because Emma kind of had a stick up her butt. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, lesbian couples were not accepted. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> Absolutely none. <laughs> so after Lindsay threw Nance a party in 1905, Emma abruptly moved out. Mm. And I don't think that they spoke after that. She probably got sick of hearing them through the walls. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't think they spoke for the rest of their lives. I'm not sure, but I feel like I read that somewhere. Lizzie died of pneumonia on June 1st, 1927, while her sister Emma died of kidney issues only nine days later on June 10th, 1927. Weird. That is weird, a- but they're also nine years apart, so it's just, yeah, it's strange. They're very, very connected. Very, very close. Also, Lindsay and I are eight years apart, and I wouldn't move out if she started having a lesbian lover. I know, but you're also way more with the times. I know, I'm the coolest. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think so. (laughs) They are buried side by side near their father in the family plot in Oak Grove Cemetery. Just a fun fact that I saw at the end of one of the articles After Lizzie died, she left $30,000, which in today's money would be almost $512,000, to the Fall River Animal Rescue League. Oh. I know. She also left money to have someone always take care of her father's gravestone, and she left money to her best friend and her favorite cousin. I probably would, too. Yeah. Although I don't think I'd have enough money to leave to my cousin that she wouldn't already have herself. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> uh, I'll give you $10. <laughs> Here's the, all the money. $10. <laughs> okay, so I am very undecided on whether or not Lizzie committed the murders. I could see either way. There's not enough evidence, in my opinion, to make a judgment on it so i don't know i think she could have i think she could have i definitely do but i also think that there's enough doubt yeah that her being acquitted of the charges was the right thing yeah without like actually knowing her and like being in the time i think the closest we could get is maybe but I think that yeah. it could have also been just the town's perception of her and how they didn't really accept her anyway, even before it all. So, yeah, so that's exactly it. I think that there's not enough evidence. And so whether she did it or not, there was no evidence of it. So the, the only thing for her is to be acquitted. And if she didn't do it, I think it's really freaking cruel how the community treated her yeah after because no matter what she was acquitted yeah there was no proof so oj was acquitted and i probably wouldn't be very nice to him okay you're right (laughs) i'm sorry but dude's a murderer (laughs) okay you got me there yeah so but i still say 
kids don't she... need to be singing horrible nursery rhymes about her. It's because she's a lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. OJ, he just... He is. He did it. We know he did it. He just washed the gloves so they wouldn't fit on him. Oh, God. <laughs> so now... We're going to talk about the paranormal stuff. Lizzie Borden's house was made a bed and breakfast and was up for sale in 2021. And um, everyone was really, really worried, I know, about what was going to happen to it. Because before then, you know, it'd been a bed and breakfast and people could ghost hunt there and Mm -hmm. hear the history. So anyways, it was for sale for $2 million. And luckily luckily, a man named Lace... Sorry, not Lace. I wrote Lace, but it's Lance. <laughs> Lance Zall. Z-A-A-L. Zall. Wow. He bought the property. And he is part of a group of ghost hunters called the U.S. Ghost Adventures. I hope they're not I don't related. Know if that has... <laughs> I don't know. I could not figure it out. Hmm. But that's exactly what my thought was. I was like, wait... <laughs> He part of ghost adventures but he plans to keep the house as a bed and breakfast and do all the same things that they did before which is great that's good so here's some known paranormal activity the doors will open and close on their own people will smell a mysterious floral scent that is believed to be one of the borden spirits People have claimed to see a woman in a nightgown in the Andrew and Abby suite that is believed to be Abby Borden One of the previous managers of the house claimed to have seen a shadow figure in the basement. There's a rocking chair that will move back and forth on its own. And one group of guests witnessed a chair moving a few feet across the floor by itself. Okay, but is it possible to have a rocking chair and not see it move on its own at some point? No, I swear (laughs) that has to be part of having a rocking chair. Like any great self-respecting paranormal podcaster, I went on TripAdvisor to see if anyone (laughs) had any paranormal things happen to them. I had gone to Reddit first because I love Reddit, but I only found one story where they described having a dream. They stayed up in the attic room and they had a strange dream. It's cool because I guess (laughs) a lot of people who stay in the attic room have strange dreams. I guess it's a common report, but they wrote a lot (laughs) so i didn't want to read the entire thing Mm. i have weird dreams all the time and i do not sleep at lizzie borden's house (laughs) not in the attic i had a dream the other day that my extremely conservative very 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 straight grandpa came out and said that he had a male lover before my grandma who had passed away from cancer maybe because that's what you wished he would say I mean, I don't wish anyone to have a lover that died from cancer, but... Oh, no, no, no. I don't wish... that. No, that's not what I meant. No, I don't want want him to... No. You mean I wish he wasn't a conservative yes. old man? Yes, that's what I meant. A conservative yes. straight old man? Yeah. <laughs> wow, no. Cancer is awful, and I would never, never wish that upon anyone. No, no. Not me either. (laughs) I told you this morning, but I'm just going to say it here on the podcast, that I had a dream that I smoked a bowl last night, and that was the only thing that happened in my dream. I was by myself, 
Maybe you're still feeling the effects from that dream. <laughs> Maybe it must be. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I don't smoke weed <laughs> ever. So I've done it like 10 times when I was a teenager, but I am 32 now, 33 next month. Woo! Well, you will be 33 when they hear this. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Would you like to know what the people on TripAdvisor said? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So a man named Jared G said, I'll start by saying my partner and I are on a spooky tour. However, that may give the idea that I'm easily spooked. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what I believe as far as the afterlife, but I do consider myself empathetic. As soon as I stepped onto the second floor into the girls' room, I felt nauseous and my head started hurting. Skeptics might apportion this to a number of things, but it felt like an association to the stomach aches the family felt because of mutton food poisonings, <laughs> and the headaches were associated to the axe face trauma of the victims. Once oh. I left the floor, the feelings began to diminish. I, I like how specific they are for not being like believers or anything i would just been like i had a headache and probably a little bit of gas (laughs) right jessica l commented this tour was informative spooky and an all-around great experience however i will warn anyone who's willing to read this that my sister and i found ourselves a bit perplexed before the tour because as we were chatting on the side of the house we ended up seeing a torso of a woman wearing period clothing. We didn't see her head, but we figured it was just the lighting. My sister and I asked the tour operator, Jack, if he or his crew dressed up in period clothing. He told us that no one in his crew did and hasn't for years, hasn't for a great many years. The woman was in the second story window, three windows down, in Lizzie Borden's bedroom nonetheless. I also heard steps coming up out of the cellar when no one was down in the cellar. So a bit of a surreal experience to say the least. A little bit, yeah. That's pretty neat. That is. Except if it is a bed and breakfast, what if somebody rented that room and brought oh, gosh. period clothing? So I would kill them because they do ghost out. tours. I know. That'd be I such would a good be idea. So mad. That would be such a good idea, though. (laughs) Well, you're not coming with me then when I go visit. (laughs) Matt really wants to go. I'll do it for him. I'll be like, oh, I got to pee. And I'll run up there and change real quick. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. When I looked at TripAdvisor, all of the reviews, almost all of them, there are, of course, the odd ones. But it was like less than 15 out of almost 2,000. They have five-star reviews that and all of them say their tour guides are amazing they're very knowledgeable they had a fun time that's nice so i am very much excited to go sometime and if you are in the area you should go i will be in the area one day that's that's the plan it's me too i want to move there no i don't want to move there oh too cold in the winter screw that It's cold here. It's not cold here. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, the Lizzie Borden house is mentioned a lot in pop culture. I didn't really want to get into it. I'm sure you can think of about 20 things it's in. 
I did mention <laughs> the Netflix series with Christina Ricci. It's so good. I need to finish it. I haven't finished it. Well, I don't you know why do I didn't that. finish it. Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters have been there. That's nice. And the last thing that I have to say is that hauntedplaces.org states that 80% of people believe that it is haunted. Did you see if there were any uh, stories on there? I didn't. I don't know where to look for that. You just you told scroll me that there down. Were stories. Oh. <laughs> so really dumb now. Because <laughs> when I come on, it's like perfectly framed. Yeah. So I didn't realize there was more. Because hmm. I, I just thought that they were... No, they have people leave comments all the time on there about like what they experienced when they went there and why they gave it that rating and all that stuff. Okay, well, that's good to know for future episodes. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> what do you think about Lizzie Borden? I think she's dope. I mean, it's not cool to kill people, but. You don't know if she did. We don't know if she did. And I mean, if the documentary series thing is accurate, her attitude afterwards cracked me up. <laughs> no remorse. Yeah. She's just like, well, screw you all. I don't like any of you now because you all think I'm a murderer anyway. So I'm just going to be mean to you. <laughs> well, there you go. What would you rate it on the weird shitometer? So this is another one of those ones that we've heard since the day we were born. Right. So it's hard to look at it without being like, oh, well, it's just so it's normal. I've heard yeah. it. It happened or it didn't happen or whatever. But if you factor in, like, we hadn't grown up with it. And you factor in like the weird little nursery rhyme <laughs> and the who done it aspect and the who done it and the fact that how did they kill them without anybody hearing because I'm sure there was at least like a sound when she fell on the floor or you know mm -hmm. aggressively beating something usually makes noises and there was Bridget was in the house yeah. So, so there was another person there than just Lizzie. I bet Bridget was in on it. <laughs> I mean, I think that is a theory that I've heard. And there's another theory that thinks that John Moore's had something to do with it. Morse. I mean, that he did it. That's possible, too. Maybe. What happened to Bridget afterwards? Like, she just disappeared? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she ran off and got married to him. So John Morris, he was like 60. So? You can get married at 60. I mean, you can, but I think she was like 20. And? Bridget. Age is just a number. True, true. You think that if Jim Carrey asked me to marry him right now, I'd say no? I would say no. I would not. <laughs> no. I would say Yes. You'd say uh, paint me like one of your French girls. I mean, he does do paintings, but I don't I know. think that's the style he does. <laughs> no. He does funny ones. Yeah. But so I guess I'm going to give it a um, 
I give it a six because there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. And I like it. (laughs) I'm giving it a seven because I think that the mystery part of it is probably my favorite part, the speculation. But, and then the hauntings and stuff, I've heard that it's like the most haunt, one of the most haunted locations. Granted, they say that about everything, but everything. I'm still going to uh, think that that is one of the most haunted locations. <laughs> At least until you get to go there and figure it out on your own, right? And I cannot wait whenever I get to go there because I have my uh, EMR or what is it? EVP recorder. Mm-hmm. And I have my. Um... Shit, why can't I think of the name? EMF EMF. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) EMF reader. So I'm very excited for that. I need to get one of those. I would be doing everything, though. Like, I would have it going right now while we're doing this. Well, I think I have to actually press the button. I don't know where it is. It's in my closet somewhere. (laughs) Have you done any readings at your house? Just to make sure. Mm -hmm. Anything? Yeah, nothing. No. Mm-hmm. Nothing where you wouldn't expect any to be. Darn. My fish tank, though, for whatever reason, my my big fish tank produces a shit ton. Like 200 something. Well, water's a conductor. And you got all that electricity with the lights and the filter and all that jazz. So. Yeah, true. But yeah, I was like going around like all the like you know my whole house and i got to the fish tank and i was like holy cannoli like that is a lot (laughs) you got some haunted fish i know probably all the fish that have died probably it is a mass (laughs) graveyard although i've had brownie for what two years now i don't know he's an oscar so he'll live for like 30 years so nice anyway anyway (laughs) let us know what you think about lizzie borden and also tell us any other stories. You know, Amy always does this part super cool and like <laughs> gives you specific examples. And I'm just like, yeah, send us whatever you want. <laughs> Honestly, it's because fine. We'd love to read it. I get bored saying the same thing all the time. And, you know, sometimes they need examples so that like maybe like what I said last time with the bunch of teenage girls kicking you out of your house because you got them all killed maybe that like sparks something in their memory and they're like oh yeah (laughs) something like that did happen to me or maybe it's just because i like to throw in buffy in every episode (laughs) hey you know if her name's not mentioned once it's a travesty true yeah so you can send your submissions of all of your weird shit and if you've been to lizzie borden's house over on our website, thisislegendpod.com. You can email them to us at thisislegendpod at gmail.com. Then we always have our social medias, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at thisislegendpod. Keep it spooky, classy, and sassy. But most of all, keep it legendary. Bye. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>